When I was a, a small child, I used to think my daddy was the coolest person to ever lived, and probably by far the most powerful man to have ever lived in human history. Because he had a keychain. He had one of those old weathered keychains that he looped onto his belt. And I've realized now that I do the same thing now. I keep my keys on a little clip like this, and I get to work, open up the door, and I just clip them on my belt, on my belt loop, and throughout the rest of the day, there they are, just kind of jingling throughout the day. But my daddy had one of those old ones, remember you could, had a little thumb thing you could pull down and loop it on your belt? That's what daddy had. And daddy's key thing was full of keys. And I thought any man that had that many keys wrapped around his belt must be all-powerful. Or at least really cool, one or the other. I have since, as I've grown older, found out, no, that's not the case, because I've got a lot of keys, and I'm not very powerful, and I don't know much. <laughs> and I'm definitely not that cool. So, but, I, but I realize now, I clip my keys on my belt, with my key thing here. He didn't have a Doctor Who thing on, though. Uh, he didn't quite have that. Do you have a Doctor Who thing for your... I can get you one, Tim. Get you a TARDIS, maybe. Dalek. Cyberman? Okay. Sure? Okay. <laughs> Check it. <laughs> so, but you know, I realize now I clip my, 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 my keys on there. But the funny thing about my keys is this you know, as a preacher, when you move to a church, you get handed down the keys that have gone before you. So everywhere I've been, I've been given, I've been given the keys of my predecessor. And everything went real smooth here. But when I went to Asbury, I was given the keys of, of, of the pastor before me, and somehow they got mislabeled. And so my first week there, I couldn't get into my office. I'd sit there, I'd go there to the door, and I'd get the key that said office on it. And I'd put it in the door, and I'd try to open it, and nothing. And I'd sit there, and I'd open it, and I would... The more I tried to twist the key in there, because it fit, I mean, it fit in the lock. It looked at, you looked at it, it matched perfectly. Everything about it should have been the right key, but I put it in the hole, in the key lock, and I turn it, and nothing. And the more I'd do it, the angrier I'd get. And I'd sit there, and I'd, and I'd fine. That's all I can test to you. Anytime I go fine, and I've done giving up, and I'm just angry at that point. So I'd say, I'm going to work out here in the main office. My minister said, no, you're not. <laughs> so we finally, she'd let me in. So I, I, you know, so I would always get so frustrated because, you know, everything about that key looked like it was the right fit. I mean, it was marked right. You held it up to the, to the master key. It looked right. Everything about it should have worked right. But it didn't. It didn't. Keys are, funny. Keys are funny like that, aren't they? You know, they can look right. They look like they should fit. They look like they should be spot on. But they just don't fit sometimes, do they? Even though they should. We spend a lot of time in our life looking for the right fit, don't we? Things often look like the right fit. They are marked to be the right fit. But sometimes, sometimes things just don't fit, do they? We look for the right fit in our relationships. 
We look for the right fit in our friendships. We look for the right fit in our marriage. You know, there's an old Greek legend that when a man is born, he's cut in half. He spends the rest of his life looking for that other half to complete him. We look for that right fit in these relationships. We look for the right fit in our work, don't we? We all want to be working in a job, working in a place where we feel valued and we feel like we fit. We, we want that. We look for this right fit in our activities, in our friendships, in everything we do. We want that right fit. And sometimes things look right on the outside. But when you get there, when push comes to shove, it's not the right fit, is it? We spend so much of our life, so much of our life, so much of our life trying to find that place where we are the right fit. Today is a, a day in the life of the church that's called Trinity Sunday. You, you've heard Jennifer talk to the kids this morning about the Trinity and how, how that works. Uh, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday and also our Baccalaureate Sunday where we honored our high school and college graduates. But last Sunday was, our, was Pentecost where we remember in Acts 2 where the Spirit descended and came upon the apostles like tongues of fire and, and the church was born. And so that was celebrated last week, the birthday of the church. Um, we should have had more cake if it was our birthday, shouldn't we, Tim? I mean, cake's always good. We, we, yes, last Sunday we celebrated that. Today, though, is a Sunday kind of we, we put aside to, to focus on the Trinity. And the Trinity, as Jennifer told you, is hard for kids and, and adults to understand what the Trinity is all about. Um, the best story I ever heard about that was a, a young preacher decided one Sunday he was going to preach on the Trinity and he was going to explain it to his church. So he spent all week working on his sermon. He read every book out there he could find the Trinity. He read all of them. He read every book out there. And, and he wrote his sermon, and he had pages and pages and pages and pages of notes on the Trinity. He got up, and he preached a sermon. And he knew, y'all, he knew he hit that thing out the park. I mean, he knew he nailed it. He knew he had explained the Trinity. Everybody was in that church that morning. So he's at the back of the church shaking hands after service, and this lady comes up to us and says, Preacher, said, said, I want to thank you for your sermon of the Trinity. It was so helpful. His head starts getting bigger. He says, really, ma'am? He said, would you mind explaining to me what part about the sermon really spoke to you the most? She said, sure, Preacher. Said, she said, I used to always feel really bad that I, that I never understood the Trinity. She said, but today after your sermon, I didn't feel nearly as bad. Because I understand that you don't either. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the Trinity right there. That's kind, of, that's kind of the way it works. Here's what we do know about the Trinity. Here's what, here, I'm going to boil down the Trinity to kind of, kind of what I think for me is the most basic point of it, of our belief in it, what it means to us and how it helps us. The Trinity at its core, we, heard, we saw it this morning in the Scripture. We saw where Jesus says the Spirit will come and the Spirit will will not speak on its own, but it will speak to you what it was instructed to say. Well, who instructed the Spirit would say? The Father. And what's the Spirit going to do? The Spirit's going to glorify the Son. So the Spirit comes, the Spirit speaks to us, reminds us, advocates to us the Word of the Father, and the point that the Father wants us to know through the Spirit is to glorify and worship the Son. The Spirit at its core 
It's about the relationship that the Father has for the Son, has for the Spirit, has for the Father. That's why quite often you'll see the, Spirit, the Trinity represented like a triangle. Because the Trinity, at its core, at its most basic understanding, is the love that the Father has for the Son, has for the Spirit, has for the Father. We see it in Jesus' baptism when he's baptized. It says, the, the heavens opened, the Spirit descended like a dove, and the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We see it over and over and over again in Scripture that the basic, most understandable part of what the Trinity is, is the relationship that each person of the Trinity has for the other. The love that the Father has for the Son has for the Spirit. God is a God that is triune. We sang it this morning. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. We see it over and over again in the Scripture. So God is a God that is Trinity. That's who God is. The Trinity at its core is the relationship that the Father has for the Son. So God is Trinity, the Godhead, the triune God that we sang about in the first song. We're going to sing about in the last song. God is Trinity. Trinity is relationship. The relationship the Father has for the Son, has for the Spirit. Okay. This is why this matters. This is why this is the essential doctrine, of, one of the essential doctrines of the Christian church. The Bible says this in Genesis. When humanity was made, the Bible says this. It says God scooped up, the Father scooped up dirt out of the ground, breathed into it the breath of life, and said this. Let us make them in our image. In other words, we as humans are made in the image of the triune God. By the way, y'all, there's two things you need to know about everyone you'll ever meet as long as you ever live. Two true facts about everyone. There's not a person you will ever meet in your life that Jesus Christ did not die for. The people you love, the people you don't love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You will never meet a person as long as you live that is not a person that Jesus Christ did not die for to save. Everyone matters. There's not a person you'll ever meet that Christ didn't die for. There's also not a person that you'll ever meet who is not made in that image of the triune God. He said, let us make them in our image. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone has upon them the mark of God. Everyone matters to God. Christ died for the world, and we're all made in his image. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean to be made in the image of a triune God? What does that mean? It means this. We have upon us that, that nature of God so much that we, we have that mark of God upon us. We, have, we are a reflection of who God is in many ways. We long for eternity. We long for grace. We long for hope. Scripture says that God has placed upon all man a longing for eternity. So we are made in God's image. God is Trinity. Trinity is relationship. So what does this all mean? We are made... For relationships. That's why the Trinity matters to me. 
It matters in that it shows us what we are made for. Relationships. Jesus put it like this. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the first and the greatest of all the commandments. That's it, y'all. Love a God, love a neighbor. That is the essence of the Christian gospel. We have to love God with all that we are and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That is our call, our duty, and our passion as believers. We are made for relationships. And the reason why so, so many times in our life it feels like things don't fit is like I was at Asbury, putting the wrong key in the wrong door. We're trying to find our fit in things that are earthly. We're trying to find our fit in our jobs, in our activities, in our, even our earthly relationships. We're trying to find our, our activities, our, our, trying to find our fit in the stuff of earth. When you were not created for the stuff of earth, you were created for the stuff of heaven. And as great, y'all, as great as the stuff of earth is, as much fun as the stuff of earth is, as much as we can enjoy the stuff of earth, we are not made for the stuff of earth. We are made for the stuff of heaven. And we cannot ever truly find our identity and our worth in the stuff of earth. Because the stuff of earth is temporal. It is passing. I mean, think about how much you love your birthday gift from five years ago. At the moment, you loved it, didn't you? When was the last time you thought about it? Just now? The stuff of earth that gives us such fleeting happiness, it's just that. It's fleeting happiness. It's not bad. I like my stuff. I'm a geek. I would love to have a robot. Just because that would be awesome. You know? I could get a, it could give me a piggyback ride. I don't know what we'd do. We'd have a buddy cop show. I mean, I don't know what me and my roll robber would do, but we would get in trouble. And Tim would yell at us. That's what would happen. Amen? Yeah. So the stuff of earth is okay. But I cannot find my identity in the stuff of earth. I am not made for that. I am made for the stuff of heaven stuff of heaven these relationships these relationships they are what matter above all else to love God and to love your neighbor <coughs> here's the thing the two things with these relationships first is you know it's not complicated to love your neighbor it's just really hard. Loving your neighbor is not a complicated process, concept. It's just really hard to do, isn't it? Like my mom used to say, just because I love you don't mean I got to like you. We've got to love our neighbors, y'all. Because here's the thing. This is the second thing with that. If I mean, loving your neighbor and loving God is not complicated, it's just hard to do sometimes. 
but these things are balance of our life. If I'm not loving God right, if my walk with God is not right, if I'm not praying, if I'm not reading, if I'm not searching, if I'm not being faithful with my walk with God, I'm going to be a, ter- I'm going to be a terrible pastor and friend and husband. When my walk with God is off, my walk with you is off. When my walk with God is off, my walk with you and all of our relationships is going to be off. As I walk with God, as I seek God's face, it's going to make me a better pastor and friend and neighbor and husband and father. And likewise, if my walk with you is off, my walk with God's going to be off. When we're really angry, when we've got unforgiveness, when we've got things with other people that we can't let go of, how often does that affect our prayer life? How often does that affect our worship life? How often does that affect these things? That's where our fit is, y'all. Our fit, and as great as the stuff of earth is, that is never our home. That's never our foundation. That's never where we can truly find ourselves. So often we feel aimless and rootless because we're trying to find our fit, our home, in things that are fleeting. We weren't made for that. We weren't made for that. We're made in God's image. Our hearts, y'all, our hearts... And our souls, they cry out for something deeper. Something deeper. Something more life-giving. Something more, more eternal. We all know it, don't we? We try to find our fit in so many earthly things. And the key just doesn't work. And there are moments, sure, there are moments of bliss. And moments of goodness and moments of fun. It's not our home. Our home is somewhere else. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you miss both. Yeah. That's right. When we realize that our fit is in our walk with God and walk with our neighbor, We actually find the stuff of earth even better. (laughs) But when we focus on this first and miss God and miss our neighbor, we never find our fit, do we? You were made in his image and Jesus Christ died for you. Lewis said other, you know, that each other, your neighbor, is the most sacred thing you'll ever meet. You're beloved. You're made for greatness. But that greatness first starts with your walk with him and your walk with each other. John Wesley used to end his covenant meeting with this one question. How is it with your soul? Today, how is it with your soul? How, how is your walk with God? How's your walk with your neighbor? Because if either of those get thrown off circuit, something's going to kind of be off in our lives. We feel like it's not going to fit. The day you were made for that relationship, how is it with your soul?
How is your walk? Let's pray.